I would like to now introduce our speaker for tonight, Pamela. Hi, my name is Pamela, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Oh, thank you so much for asking me to speak here. It always um, getting to share my program is something that really gives me a lot of strength, and I have gotten so much from this program. I don't know why, but I remembered my pictures, so <laughs> I'll bore you with them. Um, let's talk about a few numbers. Um, I have had every form of this disease there is possible. Uh, my top weight was 220, my bottom weight was 120, and um, in my wonderful yo-yoing, uh, when I did my first first step and wrote down my eating history, I'd lost 685 pounds. Um, I was in complete denial that I had any part of this disease for a long time. Um, I used to um, do a lot of, I was never really bulimic, but I really did a lot of colon cleansing, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and, um, and I wasn't anorexic, but I did these spiritual fasts. In fact, um, I, I would tell people, I'm going around and I feel this great power of God within me, but I think it was indigestion or heartburn from not having eaten for five days. It took me a while to figure out what that was. Um, so not only have I got to experience a lot of this disease, I, um, I'm a compulsive fill in the blank. So I always say, if you've got put out in front of me here, you know, a glass of Chardonnay, a little Godiva, maybe a Valium, ooh, maybe a little Speed. How about cocaine? Ooh, marijuana. Let's see. Um, ooh, Neiman Marcus credit card. <laughs> oh, no. Brad Pitt. I know he's really young, but I'm try, <laughs> trying to fit in with most of the people. It would be really hard for me to figure out which one of these I would choose. But um, I know in my heart of hearts, I'm a compulsive overeater. The bottom line is the food I love, and I can be addicted and have been addicted to every one of the substances I have mentioned. But what really has killed me and what my really bottom line is the food. It's about what I look like, and it's about numbing the feelings, and nothing works better than the food. I was just sitting here thinking, you know, in my early 20s, I, I was hospitalized, um, and I've really been on one of my crazy diets, and um, I went in, and um, I, I had a, a very serious abdominal situation, so I had to be on IV for five days, and I couldn't get out of bed. I was, I was critically ill, so when they moved me, out of the ICU into the regular room and took the IV out, what do you think the first thing I did was? I found a scale. Yeah. And you know, I gained three pounds and I was really pissed because I kept myself really dehydrated because we all know anything to make that number littler is what's going to make our day better. And that's what really counts. Before, ah, so now I'll tell my story, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Before I came into program, I was a selfish, self-centered, 
self-seeking, lying, cheating, stealing, conniving, very angry person. And I got into a program about a little over 12 years ago, and I got a sponsor, and I did everything that you said, and now I am a selfish, self-centered, <laughs> self-seeking, lying, cheating, stealing, conniving, grateful person <laughs> that tries one day at a time not to act out on any of my character defects because they're there. They're all there like they've always been. I just don't practice them anymore or not as much. I'm not perfect, thank God. So, how did it start out? My past is really pretty boring. I had the standard dysfunctional family. My mother didn't love me, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? You know what I mean? Who cares? But I found food very early. And I guess I guess the way I feel, and, and I, I hope that some of this reaches some of the newcomers, but what I found is that I never got over being a teenager. I figured this out when I was 50. In fact, in fact, I always felt that if I could just look good enough to be on the cover of Seventeen magazine, my life would be perfect. And I had to give that up. What can I say? I mean, I'm kind of shooting for modern maturity now, but you know what I mean? I had to give up the Seventeen magazine. But I felt that till I was 50. I'm not kidding you. That's what I felt. I felt it was all about how I looked in that really superficial what's on the outside. And because I never felt I had anything on the inside. And I must have been about 10 or 11 years old. And all of a sudden I started feeling different. And I felt, I didn't feel I fit in. There was just something that didn't quite jive with me and everybody else. And I thought, you know, if I could just lose five to seven pounds, I'd be on it. And so that was my first diet. That was pears and cottage cheese at 11 years old. And I have succeeded at every diet at least twice, never more than twice, um, that there is. I mean, I was shocked by Schick. I mean, I did everything. I did every single diet there was. I used to eat those AIDS. I used to <laughs> I'd eat them as a dieting, and then I'd start binging, and I'd eat them with my meal. <laughs> it was really pathetic. I mean, my behavior was really pathetic, and my thinking was really pathetic. I didn't have a life. All I could think about was me, me, and me. That's all there really was. Not that I liked me. I really hated me. But I was in fear all the time. What did you think? How was it going to work? Was I going to get what I wanted? <laughs> was I going to get what I wanted? That's, that's basically what my life was kind of focused about on. And I ate. I basically ate for any emotion that you can imagine. I say I ate when I was happy. I ate when I was sad. I ate when I was angry. I ate when I was grateful. I ate to celebrate. I ate to be angry. I ate before sex. I ate after sex. I was working on eating during sex. <laughs> I mean, eating was what you did whenever there might possibly be an emotion. And, um, and that really robbed me of my whole life. And I look back at it now. People would say, 
Oh, you went to New York? Did you go to Rockefeller Center and go ice skating? Yes, I said. And they said, what was it like? How the hell did I know? I was so absorbed with myself. I mean, I got there, and all I could think about while I was standing in line was, my breakfast was too big. I shouldn't have had that extra bite of apple. I shouldn't have done it. I know I'm feeling terrible. Everybody's going to notice. I can. It's awful. And that's all I could think about. I finally got my skates out. I got on the rink. I was doing great. But all I could do is look around the rink and say, her waist looks smaller than mine. Do you think they're noticing how big my hips are? That's all I could think about. And as I ended the event and should have been joyous, I said, oh, only an hour until lunch. Let me see. What am I going to do? I think I might just have clear green liquids for lunch. I mean, that's the way my life was. It was always some game I was playing with my food to try to manage it. Really, I guess, to try to manage the world. And what happened is I gave up. My bottom line abstinence is loving myself. And that's really hard. That means... I can't eat a gallon of anything. <laughs> you know, um, I um, when somebody cuts me, I don't cut off people in traffic. When somebody else cuts me off in traffic, I try to think kind thoughts and I try to forgive them. That's what loving myself means. I can't have angry thoughts. I can't have jealous thoughts. And I have to really take care of myself. Does that mean I don't work my tush off in this program? Oh, no. I work. I work really hard. But I love myself, number one. The other thing I do is I don't start over. Now, I notice a lot of our newcomers are a fraction of my age. And when I was young, I started everything over again and again because it wasn't perfect. And I ripped off the old sheet. I'm going to do that again. I'm going to do it perfect, and I'm going to show you, because I, I'm the queen of the world. <laughs> he asked me how he could introduce me. I said, oh, queen of the world. You know, I've been it for so long, and, and I've done such a good job, you know. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should just be introduced as that, but I'm trying to absorb a little more humility these days <laughs> and realize that I'm not in charge, you know. After all that colon cleansing, I kept saying to people, I'm doing this colon cleansing every year. I'm never going to have colon cancer because that's why I'm doing it. I didn't tell them I got on the scale 15 times a day. I wouldn't bring that up. That would kind of be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Okay, so you know what? I just did it again, and I went in for my first colonoscopy. And the doctor... When he was done, I mean, it hurt. I didn't, I didn't go to sleep. I didn't want to go to sleep. So it, I felt it. I said, oh, that hurts. I couldn't imagine what was going on. And then a little while later, he says, well, you know, I found a polyp in there. He says, but don't worry about it. I cut it out. Then he called me a week later and said, you know, we took, they, we took a biopsy of that polyp, and there was cancer, but it was on the very middle of it. And I thought, oh, boy, I guess I'm not in charge. And I know I'm really fast-forwarding, but this is really what's going on with me. And I thought, well, what does that mean? Let's see now. Well, I could eat a, a bag of potato chips 
that would probably be really good. That would probably fix all of this. <laughs> My first thought, what else would it be? <laughs> and then maybe take drugs and wine with the potato chips. But, you know, I just kind of said, well, now what does this really mean? And what, to me what it meant was, well, I better make sure. And actually I've investigated it and I asked the doctor after I had this thought, what happens? People that you know, people like me, how many of them die of colon cancer? He says, None, we found it. You're gonna it's gone. But in the interim I got to be dramatic. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. Okay, so I got to be really dramatic and I said, um, oh dear, well what if I'm gonna die in the next year? So, you know, this is just what this program has taught me. This program has taught me that what I really need to do is take care of a a little bit of business, you know, make sure my living trust and that I to do has been updated because it's been about 10 years and my daughter's no longer a minor so I have to you know take out all those things about her but basically the rest of it's okay you know whatever is God's will for me that's what I'm going to take and if my will is I had six weeks or six months or six years or 60 years God what do you have for me just tell me every day what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it for you. And that's all there is. That's all there is. Now, you're saying, wow, I'm really impressed. Huh. She must get up every morning and meditate for 14 hours, blah, blah, blah. No. You know, I practice this program the best I can. I have 12 years and one week of abstinence. And for that, I am so grateful. I have I haven't had sugar since July 5th of 1998. I haven't had any wheat since April 1st of 2000. That's just kind of my food trip. Oh, but there's one really miracle that happened I have to tell you about. When I came into this program 13, 14 years ago, my son was a mess. Let me tell you, his life was totally off the charts. He was worthless. He was going the wrong way. Everything about him was terrible. And my first sponsor, I spent a lot of time talking about he hasn't done this, he's using this, he's trying this, he failed this, he quit this, blah, 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 blah. So that sponsor's moved to another part of the country, but we talk every now and then. Every time I talk to her, of course, what does she ask about? How was your son? I mean, I blabbled endlessly about him for months and months and years. And I said, you know, the weirdest thing happened. I got 12 years of abstinence, and my son's problems went away. <laughs> Go figure how that works. So I, I don't really understand it all, but I do all those things they say to do. I go to meetings. I go to three meetings a week. I have a sponsor. I've very seldom been without a sponsor. Just, you know, for short times I had one sponsor pass away. I mean, and I had to get another sponsor. Of course, did I start the program like this? No. I wasn't even going to come to OA until I felt there was someone good enough to be my sponsor. I had my friend in another program, and she said, I really like this girl, and she's going into OA, and she works the steps, and she fulfilled all my requirements. I called her. I interviewed her. I felt she might be able to handle it as my sponsor, and I met her at the meeting she said to meet her at, and I worked with her for six weeks, at which time she decided she wasn't an overeater. <laughs> and, and there, you see, that's what always happens to my plans. 
My plans just never really worked. But God had something better in store for me and found me a better sponsor and found me better things. But I kept doing whatever they said. I'm a compulsive fill-in-the-blank. So, if you said 30 meetings in 30 days, somewhere I heard somebody say 90 meetings in 90 days. Well, hell, I'm going to do that. And I did, because I had to show you I was the best. And I did it, and I am grateful I did it. Some days I had to do two meetings to catch up, but I did it. I, um, I did whatever was suggested for my program to keep me going. And when I first came, I heard everyone say, well, you know, when I first came, I sat, I came late, I sat in the back of the room, and I left early. And I said, well, I'm a tough chick. I ain't going to do that. So I'd come early, and I'd stay late. But I was scared to death. I didn't know what to do, and I have this story to tell you. I conned myself. Remember? Liar, cheater, stealer, con. I'm a con. I think I conned myself into the basic principle of this program, which is this is a program of action. It's by taking the actions I have taken that my thinking has changed. So I said, I'm a piece of doo-doo. Nobody wants me. Nobody likes me. God forbid somebody should start a conversation with me and find out who I am, they would see I'm such an ugly, horrible, undesirable person. They're going to run. They're going to run screaming. So what can I do? What can I do to try to fool them? I don't think these people are very easily fooled because they seem to be like on this honesty crap, you know, like, whoa, how am I going to deal with this? I said, I have an idea. I'm going to start doing service. I am just going to, whenever they need somebody to help, I'll help. So I would come early, and I'd start help setting up. And all I ever had to say to somebody was, should we have an extra chair in this row? Would you like me to put out some more coffee cups? And that's all the talking I had to do. Or, would you like me to empty the trash? And I did this. And you know what? I fooled everybody. They all of a sudden thought I was a nice person. And before I noticed, I was a nice person. Because I wasn't doing the me, me, me song. I was trying to do something for somebody else. And that is what day to day keeps me really going in this program. It's getting out of myself. Oh, my goodness, something happened. I can't remember what it was, but it was, you know, life-threatening, of course, dramatic. The world was going to end, and I was totally freaking out. And, and I work with a person who, like me, does a lot, some yoga and meditation. She does a lot. I do a little. I do the best I can. It's perfect for me. That's what I do. So, anyway, I had something happened, and I came home from... Some trip or something, I was so out of it. I just felt so depressed. I didn't feel like getting out of bed. I didn't feel like doing anything. I really felt like perhaps I needed. I actually considered calling a psychiatrist and getting evaluated for clinical depression because I felt maybe I needed something chemical to lift this clinical depression. But you know what? I'm so lucky. I have sponsees in the program. And I had some sponsees, and they started calling me, and they started calling me with their problems. 
And I started helping them out because all of a sudden I realized, wow, when I look at things, maybe my problems aren't so bad after all. And I got up every day and I started helping someone else. And the next thing you knew, I wasn't depressed anymore. And I told my boss, I said, you know, I'm fine. I'm not depressed anymore. What did she She said, what did you do? A long meditation. I said, no, I helped somebody else. I got out of my own way. I got out of my own stuff. Because I am a selfish, self-absorbed, self-centered liar, cheater, stealer, and conner. And that's who I am. And what I do to deal with life is is overeat my food and be self-obsessed about everything about me. And anything I can do to stop that, any one thing I can do to stop that, I do. One of the things... Did you really want to hear about high school and college and the husband's Nah. <laughs> you know, fill in whatever you want. It probably sounds just like what your story was like. You know, you had challenges in life and you didn't deal with it. You went sideways. You went around it. You didn't deal it. You didn't look at it. And for me, when I came to this program, I know we have a threefold disease. I have dealt with the physical part of it. I could write 8,000 books on nutrition. You pick up any item that could go in your mouth and actually be called digestible food for a human being, and I will tell you how many calories it has, fat grams, carbohydrate grams, I mean protein grams. I am on it. I know it all. What the hell good does it do? Nothing. But I know it. So I knew I had a physical disease. I knew I had to deal with my physical triggers, and that's what I do. I, I don't really suffer. You know, I don't really suffer physically in this disease anymore. I remember someone else that I worked with in the program, and she gave up sugar, and we'd go out to eat, and she would stand longingly looking at the the little cupboard that had all the desserts in it, like, you know, I look at them, and there might as well be hockey pucks in there, because there's nothing in there that's going in my mouth. Not my food. Not my food. And... And luckily, I did all of that crazy cleansing and fasting and juicing and raw fooding because now my food plan by desire has a lot of those items in it. Now, honey, I have 12 years. Doesn't happen overnight. But slowly but surely, if you love yourself and you listen to your body, your body will tell you what it wants. And your body will never say that it wants sugar. You know, it's just not a thing a body asks for. That is, well, it, not mine. I only know my body and I know what my body asks for. But I know now that since there's less noise, since the committee took a break, takes very long breaks, I don't have to listen to them so much anymore. And I can listen to what's inside of me. And sometimes I call that my higher power, my intuition, my higher power. And sometimes I don't. Prior to the program, I majored in psychology, worked on a graduate degree in psychology, ran the psychology division of a free clinic, did did volunteer work in the psychology field, had been shrunk seven ways to nothing. You know what I mean? I tried every kind of therapist there was. I mean, 
I saw the first man, this is how old I am, this is really depressing, the first man who had a movie made about him because he had a sexual experience with a woman under the guise of therapy, was my first therapist, and all I could think of was he didn't hit on me. <laughs> I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm self-centered, and everything is about me. Everything is about me. Why? Why didn't I get that? Me, me, me. More, more, more. Uh-huh. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about sponsoring. It's probably, I love the 12 steps. I have done the steps about four times. Every time I get a new sponsor, for whatever reason, I do the steps again, whether I need to or not. And it doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of doing the steps and I get a really obnoxious resentment. I won't wait till I do my ninth step. I'll deal with it doing the tenth step and talk to my sponsor and, and make that amend. I try not to sleep on any anger whatsoever. And I have to tell you, I was just, just with a friend that used to live with me, and I told her how my neighbor had cost me $30,000. And she said, aren't you going to sue her? And I said, no. Because what she did was out of such a sick, pathetic mind. But it's just $30,000. And, you know, it has made an impact on my life. But you know what? My choices are I could, oh, I could get angry with her. I could sue her. I could show her she was wrong. But I'd have to be willing to get in her shoes. And I don't want to do that. I want to stay in these shoes because I feel happy. And when I look at her, all I see is misery and pain and fear. And I don't want to be there. So those are my choices. That's what my sponsor tells me. That's what the big book tells me. This is what you can do. You can take the other person's place or you can shut up and do prayer for them. And I remember my sponsor said, I was so proud of myself. This happened maybe three years ago, and after about two months, I was really proud, because in my religious thing, you can write up and they'll announce prayers are being offered for, I put her name up there. I put her name up there so everybody that I worship with would do a community prayer for her, because I knew that's what I was supposed to do. I'm hot. I'm cool. I got it. Yeah, right. And you know what my sponsor said? What I want you to do tomorrow is you pray for her and mean it. (laughs) So, you know, I do the best I can. I do the best I can. But having conned myself into being a person that everybody likes and thinks is kind and loving, I figure I'll just act myself into right thinking. And that's what I do. And sometimes I mean those prayers, and sometimes I do, and I'm just going to be honest. Just the way it is. But, you know, as time goes on, when my friend just says, aren't you suing her? I looked at her like, huh. Not even a thought that's in my reality right now. I mean, it's just something that happened. I'm sorry. You know, she told me what this person had done to her, and I, you know, felt empathy, but didn't feel like I needed to have any resentment. I can't afford a resentment. My hips are where they like me to be, you know. A minute of resentment here is a lifetime on my hips. I can't deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to break my abstinence, so I don't. So, sponsoring. 
It keeps me out of myself. I mean, I'm probably a terrible sponsor. I don't know. I do the best I can. I talk about me. I always talk about me. I mean, isn't it about me? So, you know, I just do the best I can. But in listening to these people, listening to these people that are asking me, are telling me what they need, is what helps me to grow. Sometimes I can't deal with them. Most often when I tell them what they need to hear, it's really what I need to hear. I I don't even know if I should say this. I've never said this. But my pet peeve (laughs) is people, when they go around, they say, but all the sponsors introduce themselves, and they say, well, my name's Susie, but I'm full. Full? I don't know what full is. I'm 63 years old. I never knew what full is. I still don't know what full is. (laughs) I'm a compulsive overeater. So I'm not even going to take that concept. So I never say no to anybody. I hand out my cards to anybody that says they're a newcomer and say, call me. You know, and try. And I figure God's in charge. God's going to give me enough time to have it all done. God's going to take care of me financially. He's taking care of the $30,000. Has my life changed? No. Doing a couple things differently, but it's not a big deal. I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm more satisfied than I've ever been. I'm more at peace with myself than I've ever been. I probably, my mantra... And I'm supposed to be this great yogi, right? Oh, yeah, I came here. What I really came here for was the, the spiritual. I knew, I knew about the physical. I knew about the emotional, psychology, food expert. But it was the emotional. The emotional was the one I really had. I mean, the spiritual is what I had to deal with. I thought God was for people that really... Um, really had a medical problem and they could either get God or they could take psychedelic drugs or prescription drugs because they had a serious problem. And that's what I thought God was for. I didn't think he was for anything else. And, you know, and it was very hard for me to come to it, but it didn't take me long to get here and realize that might be my problem. So to myself I said, well, I can understand this being religious, but there's one thing. I mean, I don't know if I can. I might be able to believe there's a God. I'm not going to get very religious. And if there's one thing I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be one of those uptight, weirdo people that has to wear a special costume to show off their religion because they want attention. <laughs> so here I am. Here I am. I need to keep my mouth shut more because, you know, whatever I open my mouth about, God shows me, I can handle, and I can handle a little bit more. And I don't know how it's worked. I really don't know how it's worked, but I don't fight with the food. I don't fight with my son. I don't fight with the people I work with. I try not to fight with the members of the fellowship, and I do, <laughs> and I say that because I do a lot of service work on a lot of levels, and I encourage you all to do that because let me tell you, if you're struggling in your place of work now, if you're struggling in a relationship now, and you're having trouble working with people that you think aren't really acting like they should be, just get 
in a committee with eight other compulsive overeaters and try to get work done. It's fantastic. And you'll come out of it. Me, speak to the board of directors for IBM piece of cake, because I served for Region 2 for four years. I can do anything now. I can work with any of those suckers. And that's what this program has been about. Everywhere I turn, there has been a reward for me. So, um, to the newcomers, God, there's so many of you here tonight, and you're the lifeblood of this program. And if you haven't heard what you liked, come to another meeting tonight, come to a meeting tomorrow morning. Somebody else will tell your story. But please keep coming back. This is the road to recovery. The 12 steps, the 12 traditions, the eight tools, that's the package. That's the deal. Get your sponsor. Whine, piss, carry on, moan, but do what that sponsor says. Because that's your recovery. And it doesn't have to be a perfect sponsor. I found the perfect sponsor. They left me. Then another time, <laughs> the best sponsor I ever had is I went and asked someone. I got up my courage. I asked someone to be my sponsor. It was a guy who says, I can't really sponsor girls. I thought, oh, shit, I got all this energy up to ask a sponsor. I turned to the person next to him. I said, would you be my sponsor? <laughs> and they said, yes, it was the best sponsor I had. So see, you know, don't. Don't think that you're going to make this perfect. Don't think you can figure it out. It's not about you. Just do what you're told to do by your sponsor. Follow the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. Practice those tools. And hopefully you'll be laughing like I am at yourself, at life, and what you have in front of you because it's all a joy. Thank you so much for letting me share. How do you deal with embarrassment? Oh. You know, it's not something I do. I hate to use this in ambi-pambi, but God's doing it. Okay, I have to tell you that although it looks like I speak well, I don't mind, blah, 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 being in front of people, I am really easily embarrassed and I'm very light-complected. And you used to be able to make me turn red. It was just, it was, it was awful. I mean, not only it, that I feel embarrassed, but everybody could see that I felt embarrassed. And I think once I quit crooning the me, me, me tune and got out of it, there isn't much to be embarrassed about because being embarrassed is just about me. And, you know, nobody really cares about you. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> but nobody really cares about you. Everybody's singing the me, me, me song. You know, people say, gee, this person did this terrible thing to me. 99% of what other people do to me, whether it's $30,000 for my neighbor, whether it's a boyfriend, whether it's a kid, 99% of that is about them. And maybe 1% is about me. Really, it's not about me. All right, thank you. Yeah.